Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Welcome to City Beautiful Church. It's wonderful to see just the top half of your faces again. To be honest, this bit, you know, no, I'm kidding, you're all beautiful. And isn't it nice if you don't have to do, like, makeup or anything on the bottom half of your face? I remember that was, like, the one thing at the beginning several people were like, well, you don't have to care as much. So, there we go. Um, So we're in this series called And the Thing After That, where we're looking at this idea of virtue, that being kind of central Uh, to what the Spirit of Jesus is doing in our lives, is he's forming us to look more like him. And that forming is more about who we are becoming than how we're supposed to behave. And not just, you know, within the church, but I think a lot of times within our culture at, at large, the conversations are always about behavior modification and what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to act. And it misses this, this elemental question of, like, the thing beneath the thing, which is, well, who are we becoming? because we're following Jesus and we're giving over our lives to him and this idea of allegiance that we've been talking about this whole year. And we've been going through each of the virtues that Paul lays out um, in his letter to the Colossians and really kind of examining these things as what is this, as kind of the the quality of God's character, um, what does it truly look like for this virtue to be demonstrated in a human vessel? What are some of the counterfeits, maybe things that we've accepted as, as kind of lesser versions of these virtues And how do we practice uh, walking into these virtues? Kind of one part opening up our lives to the Spirit of God moving in us, and one part us choosing to show up and actually put in the work to become virtuous people. So that's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be looking at the virtue of patience. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to read uh, some scripture, and we'll just see what the Lord has for us. And so Heavenly Father, we testify to the truth that you are here, that you are with us, that you love us that you are for us, that you choose us, Um, you're not against us. Lord, it's so easy for us to to want to rush from one thing to the next. To wake up, to start our morning routine, to go to church, to get to lunch, to do whatever it is that, that we have in the rest of the day. We're always looking forward to the future, or we're always dwelling in the past, and it robs us of this present moment. But this is the moment that you're in, and you're asking us to show up. You're asking us to put, put down all of, that, all of our agendas and our timelines and our expectations and to, to be still and to know that you are God, and that you're here in this moment waiting for us. You're waiting for us to lean against you, to listen to your heartbeat. And that's what we're here to do, Lord. So we pray that you would send your spirit even now to quiet our hearts, to stop all of our restlessness and our fidgeting and our worrying, so that we can just lay all of that down in this place and be fully present to you as you're fully present to us. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I'm going to read a very long scripture. Um, I like reading long scriptures because I feel like it really helps us to immerse ourselves in the world of the writers of the scriptures. And there's certain things that are going to kind of pop out to us. So we're, you know, part of our ongoing project is we're learning how to read scripture meditatively and not so analytically to allow the words to wash over us and to, to really listen with ears um, that are kind of tuned into what might the Lord be speaking to me in this, whether Maybe he gives you a picture, maybe highlights a certain word or phrase, and that's the thing that he wants you to take away. And so we're going to be reading uh, from Isaiah chapter 40, um, basically the entire chapter. It's this really phenomenal poem that Isaiah writes in a very difficult moment in Israel's story, where a lot of these prophets, what they're doing is, you know, Israel had kind of become really kind of uh, a bloated kind of empire in and of itself during the time of the prophets. If you remember the whole story, like they had been rescued from Egypt as a, as a broken and bruised and traumatized people. God brought them out of Egypt, walked them through the desert, gave them a new land, gave them an, um, a new name. Um, he wanted to, to be their king. 
He wanted them to, to pledge allegiance to him. And they, come on in, guys. They never really did that very well. Um, they were always kind of like comparing Yahweh to all the other gods, and they, they, there was, they were always kind of polytheistic, and then eventually they're like, oh, we really want a king just like everybody else. And God's like, are you sure? Like, this is a bad idea. And he's like, no, 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 we definitely want a king. So we enter into the season of the kings, and then Israel becomes just really uh, powerful in the Middle East. Um, Solomon was the biggest arms dealer uh, in the Middle East at the time. Um, the empire just kind of becomes bloated, and they just totally turn away from God. Um, and that's when kind of God removes his hand of mercy and allows the natural consequences of a broken world to take place. And all of these surrounding empires start to fight because this is what happens when empire, when we build empires, we bump up against other empires and then we just end up duking it out instead of listening to God. Amen. Does this resonate in the slightest? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Does history repeat itself? Um, and so the prophets come along. At a time when Israel is kind of bloated, um, numb, just so consumed with the status quo, like there's not a lot of hope, there's just not a, like we just don't know who we are anymore, we've lost the plot, and they're coming in and they write poems that are meant to instill some sort of an emotional response in Israel to, to give them permission to grieve how far away they've moved from Yahweh and who he had called them to be, and to welcome them back home into his presence and seeing him as king again. So this is Isaiah 40, uh, beginning in the first verse. So you can read along if you like. Um, some of you, maybe you're better listeners. You can close your eyes and just listen and just allow the Lord to speak to you, uh, whatever, whatever he might want to show you. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand a double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, for all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem. Lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flocks like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. And he gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters of the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held, off the, held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord, or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him, and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge, or showed him the path of understanding? Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and his people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. A freaking man. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, 
the creator of the earth and of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. The word of the Lord. Wow, some of you are Anglicans, I must be, or Catholics. Good for you. I love scriptures like this because it gives us this big picture, and it doesn't diminish if we read properly. Scriptures like this, or like the Psalms, or, or there's a lot of there's a lot of different portions of the Bible that do this. It doesn't diminish what's happening in our personal lives, but it recontextualizes it. Because we're so selfish and we're inwardly focused, we think the world revolves around us, and so whatever we're dealing with must be the ultimate reality. And it's when we come to passages like this, it gives us this bigger perspective, this historical perspective of who God is, the everlasting God. And then it gives us permission to say, okay, now I want you to take whatever you're working through and I want you to place it in that story and see what it is that God might have in store for you. And I think that that's so important because it's so easy for us to forget that there's more going on than we can perceive, especially when we're really, really struggling, when we're kind of turned in by the pressure of this world and we're turned in by our own pain and our own suffering. And so what I want to do today when we're talking about patience, there's a billion ways that we could go with this, but I want to talk about the virtue of patience in the context of a lot of the suffering that we perceive in our lives that's a result of our relationship to time. And you're, this will make sense by the end of this, I hope. Okay, so so much of the suffering in our lives comes from trying to control time. And in doing so, we make it our enemy. Okay, there's two kinds of suffering in the world. There's external suffering, there's the reality of a world that's, that's riled up against you. Like I was saying with God and Israel, when God allows the natural brokenness of this world to run its course, when people are evil to one another, um, there's a certain kind of suffering that we incur there. We can't do anything about that. We can't, we can't get rid of that suffering. We can't pray it away. We can't pretend like it's not there, even though many of us want to. Like The world is broken, and there's a lot of evil in the world, and, there's a certain, and that just is inevitable. But I think one of the beautiful aspects of our faith is that it offers this way of saying, how do I recontextualize the suffering in my life so that it produces joy? And that's what we find kind of throughout the prophets. It's what we find in the life of Jesus. What we find in the followers of Jesus is they're constantly talking about the suffering that they're receiving from an evil world that does not want to see the goodness of God on display, but how people patiently persevere through that. And in doing so, it actually produces joy. And it actually becomes a greater testimony to the goodness of God. Now, that's one kind of suffering. But there's a second kind of suffering that each of us incur. And that's an interior suffering when we push back against the things that are happening within our lives, where we're trying to control things that we cannot control. And I think maybe now, more than ever, we're seeing this struggle that we have with time. It's so common in 21st century life that we're saying, oh, I'm so busy, I wish I had more time, I wish there were more hours in the day, I can't get around to that thing because there's just so much to do. And we, um, we're constantly kind of, you know, misprioritizing how we're supposed to use time or what gets time and attention. And that's what leads us all out of kilter. And maybe God gets some of that time and we're trying to find it for our families and our friends and all of these things. And it, there's this pressure where time becomes our enemy. How many of you, when your alarm goes off, you have that rush of anxiety? You know, is that cortisol release and you're like, and you're like an antelope on the Serengeti? You're like, what? You know, like that thing. And then it takes a long time for that to relax, you know? Like time is our enemy. But that's not the way that God designed the universe. That's not the way God designed all of creation to be. That's something that we have incurred upon ourselves. And so I think a lot of the suffering that we're experiencing, we want to make it that external suffering. Like, I'm, I'm feeling this feeling, and it must be because of that thing over there, or that person, or that situation. But in reality, it's our relationship to time that's causing that sort of suffering. And there's three kinds of people like this. Um, Maybe you're a past-oriented person. I'm a, I'm a past-oriented person myself, okay? So what does that look like for me? For, I'm constantly trying to rewrite what's already happened in my life. How many of you that, 
steps you, you spend an inordinate, an inordinate amount of time and energy dwelling on the past, going over old conversations, reading through old texts, thinking about things and going, I wish that that hadn't happened and I wish it had gone this way, okay? Many of you know, I, I went through a really hard breakup like a year or a year and a half ago, a month and a half ago, and that's so much of my process has been just dwelling on the past, just constantly revisiting and, and, and digging through and doing the forensic analysis, and it's like taking up so much of my energy, and I'd like to say that I've been doing it really well, and I've just been pressing into the Lord, and it's been so amazing, and blah, 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 and that's not true, because many of you have seen me like crying and despondent and like wandering around, like not really knowing what's going on, but that's where I'm, there's... I'm, I'm recognizing, like, oh, because I'm so past-oriented, I'm constantly dwelling on these things, and it's making all—it's making me feel all these feelings. And so, what are, what are those past-oriented sufferings? This is when we feel guilt, when we feel shame, when we feel regret. These are all emotions that are a result of us tying ourselves to our own past. Okay. Now, I'm not one of these people that says oh, you just have to forget your past and move forward. God doesn't want you to go back. No, he absolutely wants you to go back, but he wants you to take him with him. Take him with you. And it's when we work through those things in our past, rather than dwelling on our past, that we actually find freedom from guilt or shame or regret. Some of you are present-oriented people, okay? What does it look like for present-oriented people? It means that you're trying to hold so tightly to what's in front of you or to control what's happening in the moment, and you can't because it keeps slipping through your fingers. And so for past-oriented people, maybe it's shame or guilt or regret. For present-oriented people, it's usually anger, and it's specifically anger in the form of resentment. How many of you are angry, contemptuous, resentful people? No one. Oh, okay, three people, neat. Well, the rest of you, uh, have a great day. Um, I'll see you all later. But that's what happens is like when, when, when we're so focused on the present moment, we're like, God, I need this thing to work. I need to fit it into my agenda and get this timeline working. And we're trying to hold onto it, but it's slipping through our fingers because it's like vapor. It's like in Ecclesiastes when the writer says, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. He's saying vapor, vapor, it's all vapor. You can't try to grasp at it and you can't. And you're angry and you're resentful because you can't control what's happening around you and you incur more suffering than you actually can bear. Some of you are future-oriented people. You're so anticipating. Maybe it's just like right now, you're just anticipating like lunch or what's happening this evening, or maybe you have the five-year plan, or maybe you're, you're, you really want to be married and you want to have a family, or you want this next job move or whatever it is, and you're so future-focused. You're trying to manifest these desired outcomes, and there's a whole massive cottage industry right now of, like trying to help you to, to manifest your perfect future and, and kind of envision it and develop the five-year plan and the 10-year plan and do all this stuff, and then it doesn't work. And you're full of anxiety. How many of you are anxious people? You're terrified of tomorrow. You have no idea what's going to come. I had this thought we, um, in our, we had an elder meeting on Friday, we were talking through some things, and, I, and, and um, Kristen Blommel read this really wonderful passage of Scripture in, in John 15, and we'll talk about like, Jesus' attitude in just a moment, but it, it was this idea of like abiding, and I realized it's like, it's totally fine for you to have a five-year plan if that five-year plan doesn't get in the way of you perceiving the Lord now. And that's the difference. I think when we're future-oriented, and we're making these plans, and there's all these things, and we want them to happen a certain way, but we we do that instead of learning how to abide in the Lord today and allow him to shape our plans and that we hold those things more open-handedly. That's the kind of suffering that we incur. You know, I had all these plans. How many of you had plans this past year? You know, like 2020 was going to be your year, <laughs> you know, like you didn't think you'd be sitting here with wearing masks again. You see, there's all this suffering. And again, I think it's God is continually apocalypsing all of these things through this pandemic. They're just drawing things up within us where many of us even now, as we're kind of going back into this next sweep, and God willing, this will be a relatively quick spike. But we're like, again, we have to do this again. I have to wear masks again. I have to socially distance again. And that anger and that resentment and that anxiety and that, that fear and that regret and that shame, all of that's being drawn up again because we're trying to hold tightly to the timeline. We're trying to control time. We're trying to manifest our desired outcomes. We're trying to beat time into submission so that it works for our agendas. 
So what I want to do for a moment is I just, we're going to take like one minute, and I want you to pull out your phones, start up a note, write these things down. I find that particularly helpful. And we're just going to, just going to meditate on these two questions. What is my natural orientation to time? Am I a past-oriented person? Am I a present-oriented person? Am I a future-oriented person? And what kind of suffering does that cause in my life? So just take like one minute um, and meditate on that. So we turn time into our enemy. It's supposed to be just gifts from God. But because of the way that our, that our society operates, uh, because of all these fears and insecurities we have, we, we turn time into our enemy. It becomes this thing that we're trying to fight, and we're trying to control, rather than seeing it as a gift. And I think that sets us up beautifully to understand then what do we mean when we say patience is a virtue. Okay? So we've done uh, mercy, tenderheartedness. Uh, we've done humility. We've done gentleness. And now we're moving on to patience. I think patience is really unique because those ones, those, the, the ones that we've looked at so far are almost kind of a posture that we have to one another, like the relational virtues. I think patience is a, is a virtue of time in which we actively and peacefully submit to God's presence and direction. Okay, so patience is a virtue of time. So patience is our relationship to time itself, to the storyboard. And it's one in which we're actively submitting, number one. Because I think a counterfeit of patience is where we just check out, where we're passive in our lives, right? Like, how many of you, that would be your default? It's like, well, I'll just, I'll, I'll call it patience, but I'm just tuning out from my own life, right? So, like, this is something, like, I'm working through with my therapist. He said, you know, to hide away in a cave just trying to meet other people's expectations is just as bad as living a reckless life. Like, God doesn't want you to live just by obligation and just kind of running the programs and like not being invested in your own life. Like he wants you to live a life of joy. And so patience is an active presence. It's actively participating in where God is right now and what he's doing. And it's also peacefully submitting to God's presence and direction. It's kind of entering in that that truly deep sense of peace, that shalom, togetherness sense of peace, where we're recognizing God's presence now and we're allowing God to speak to us and where it is that he is leading us in the future. Even if it's just where you're to go for lunch later on today. Like that God would go with you in that. And I think what's so amazing to me about learning the virtue of patience is that it actually begins to change our relationship to time itself. So in Greek, there are two words for time that we find in the New Testament. Kronos and Kairos. Um, and Kronos is what you and I normally think of when we think of time. See, the Greeks were brilliant in the way that they separated out these two ideas. That chronos is like time is a connected series of events, okay? So this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens, and then this. It's kind of like the plot, okay? You woke up, you brushed your teeth, you got dressed, you showed up here, you're going to go to lunch, you're going to do whatever this afternoon, you're going to go to bed, you're going to wake up tomorrow, you're going to go to work. That's chronos time, chronology, that's how... We like to think of that. And what happens so often when we're stuck in chronos time is then what we're just measuring our lives by the disruptions that happen within it, right? Like you have these plans and then, oh gosh, this phone call happened or that person said that thing to you and you didn't anticipate that. And that's where you're kind of fighting against the timeline because all these things are happening that you didn't anticipate because it wasn't part of your plan because you're trying to control the whole thing. And chronos is a word that comes up in the scriptures of like 54. 54 times, okay? So it's there in the New Testament quite frequently 
uh, Jesus, Paul, others, they talked using chronos. They acknowledged like, that, that is a real orientation to time. But the word kairos is used 86 times. And here's how the Greeks would differentiate it. Chronos is kind of, you know, the timeline. Kairos is saying the present moment is an opportunity. Time is, a, the present moment is an opportunity for something. So whenever you see the phrase, like, the appointed time, that's kairos. And one of the things that has been a huge discipline to me for, for years now, especially, like, being in the charismatic church and, and um, entering into the ministry is this discipline of constantly learning how to ask in the moment. When I feel those feelings, okay? When guilt, shame, regret bubble to the surface, when I'm feeling anger or resentment, when I'm feeling anxiety about the future, to pause and say, Lord, what are you doing right now? What are you saying in this present moment? Because see, a lot of times our prayer lives are actually oriented to just fighting time. God, would you take away this feeling? God, would you change that thing on the timeline? Would you make my past not have happened? Would you make this thing manifest for me in the future? Like God is kind of like this, this ATM in the sky that we just keep asking him for Kit Kat bars or whatever it is, you know? But instead, I think the core practice of prayer, the core practice, is to learn how to enter into the present moment with God. And that's what we call kairos. To say, what are you saying here? What are you doing here in this moment? And how do I lean into that and allow that to recontextualize the suffering that I'm experiencing in my life? To recontextualize all of these emotions or the things that I'm fighting against um, when it comes to time. I received a beautiful analogy for this several years ago. My friend Joel owns a couple coffee shops out in Tampa. And it's kind of at the advent of like the, you know, I think we're in like the fourth wave coffee movement. Can anybody correct me, Daniel? Is that right? We're fourth wave right now? At least, yeah. Um, and, you know, pour over coffee over the past, like, five to seven years has become a bigger thing. And he worked at this coffee shop, and a lot of his clientele were kind of people who were used to doing coffee a certain way. They want to come in, they want a cup of coffee, and they got to go, because they got to get to work. And they come in, and they'd be like, what is this thing? That, why are you pouring? What's this triangle thing? Like, give me some freaking coffee. Like, what are you doing? This seems like such a waste of time. And if, if you kind of look at the, the history of our country for at least the past 80 years, I'd say like kind of post-World War II, we come back, we enter into this new era of production and innovation and invention. And as Americans, because we're so future-oriented, we naturally believe we don't have enough time. And so the real goal of life is to make everything as cheap and convenient as possible. Like if I can cut down the amount of time I need to shave, I mean, I cut down the amount of time that I need to prepare food or make coffee, then I will like control, be in control of my life. This is why like, it's the, you know, McDonald's is like the biggest corporation in the world. It's why like Walmart, oh my gosh, Nicole and I went to a Walmart yesterday. It's the first time I've been in years. And I was like overwhelmed. Like I was looking at the building and I'm like, how is this building holding itself up? It's so big. <laughs> and she goes, there's beef jerky and batteries. <laughs> like it's, it's insane because we're so geared towards convenience because we think convenience gives us more time. And if we have more time, then we're going to be happier. And we've bumped into this wall in our society where we're like, we're not any happier. And so my friend Joel, he was engaging with all these people that they want the convenient cup of coffee. They want to go. They don't want to sit there and wait for somebody to do this for like 10 minutes when you're grinding the beans and doing all this thing. And so he started to talk to some of his usual clientele about this. He said, every morning I wake up just a little bit earlier than usual and I bring out my Chemex, and I do the thing, and I boil the water, and I grind the beans, and I put them in there, and I take this processing point. says, it is the best 10 minutes of my day. Because it slows me down. Because it sets the trajectory for the rest of the day. And he said after that, because he's also a great salesperson, these Chemexes started flying off the shelves. Because we realized, oh, it's not about convenience, because what convenience is doing is making all these moments in my life functional and meaningless. And if I can actually slow down and to choose into the present moment, maybe I find more meaning in the process of that. I think there is kind of even thinking about food, right? Like we, we want convenient food. We want fast food. And now a lot of people are coming back around to learning how to cook again, even in this pandemic, like the joy of spending time preparing a meal and sharing it and slowing down. And I think that's what we're recognizing that the virtue of patience does for us. Is it moves time from being this enemy that we have to conquer through speed and convenience 
to time being a precious gift. That all we've got is this moment. That's it. That's all we've got. And if we could slow down in this moment and enter into this moment with God to perceive what he is saying and doing, then perhaps it recontextualizes everything else in our lives. And we see this time and again in the life of Jesus, even in Mark chapter 1, you know, kind of the earliest gospel that we have in the very first chapter, Jesus is beginning his ministry. He says, the time has come, he says. But what does he mean? He means the kairos has come. The kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Or as I've said very often, he's like, the new reality of God is so close that you can reach out and you can touch it. That's what the kingdom of God has come near. That's what it means. The new reality of what God's doing in the world, you can reach out and you can touch it if you want. And he says, repent and believe the good news. Or change the way that you think and come back to God. And discover a new way of being a human being in the world. Jesus was so intimately connected to God at all times. He says it over and over and over again. He's like, I, I don't say anything that I don't see the Father saying or doing. And he's always like, abide, like in that prayer in John 15, he's like, I pray that they, talking about us, would abide in you the way that I do, that we would abide in one another, that they would abide in each other. Abide is a really wonderful word to match with patience because it's all about being here now in this present moment. And if you read the ministry of Jesus through the lens of patience, you see that he's constantly doing this. He's, Jesus is just naturally living out of the present moment and saying the time has not yet come, the time has come, it's here, it's now, and inviting us into abiding in the Spirit of God here and now within us, the loving presence of God that's available to us here. But practicing patience takes time. Or as you've probably heard it said, like it's the worst prayer that you can pray is to ask God for patience. You know? But is that not also how a lot of prayer works? We pray and then we do it. And it takes time to learn patience. And many of us are impatient with the fact that we're not patient. Because we're so wired to this way of being in the world. And here's something that, just as I've been working through the, the frustration that I have and the anger that I've had over this past month and a half with like the timeline and the plans and the, 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 you know, the conversations that were had and, and the promises that were made, all these things that we may not know. And we're using spirituality as an escape or genuinely trusting God's timing until the season has passed. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> that sucks. Because a lot of times in very prescriptive spirituality, we're told, like, oh, well, you just need to trust God's timing. You're like, cool. What does that mean? You know? Do I run the program? Do I just pray the right prayers and write, read the right Bible verses and I just show up every day? How long does that take? I've done that for two weeks and it didn't seem to work, you know? Because we still have this orientation to time that us fighting, trying to control things. And sometimes we genuinely do use our religion as an escape from the suffering in our lives rather than allowing it to enter us deeper into it to learn how to read the suffering that's going on within us through the lens of the Holy Spirit to discover what's happening beneath the surface and then enter into the present moment with God and say, here, I need you to do something with this. I think part of what God wants to do for us especially as Americans, is he wants to deliver us from instant gratification. One of the biggest idols that we have in this country is, is the ATM God, the God of the instant gratification. The God that's going to just give me everything that I ask for as soon as I ask for it. And sometimes we'll paint it as being his child or whatever, and we find the verses that are like, well, you know, he's not going to give you a rock, he's going to give you bread, like these kinds of things. And those are all true, but we are, we are petulant children a lot. And we're demanding that God gives us what we want right now. And if he doesn't give it to me in the next week, well, forget him. You know, there's been so many things that I know, like, are on my heart that I have desires. And to trust that those desires are good and they've been formed by Jesus and they're there because God has given them. To say, well, how long am I willing to wait for that? How long am I willing to wait for the Lord? For six months? For a year? Five years? Ten years? Thirty years? Would it be worth it? To wait 30 years, or should I just go ahead and do it on my own? And it really begins to mess with us a lot of times. 
because it's starting to ask, well, what's my attitude towards God? Is God just a function in my life that he's, he exists to, to make all my dreams come true? Or do I actually believe that he is a good father and he's the Lord over all? And he's what we read Isaiah saying time and again, like, this is who he is. Don't you know who he is? Like, who taught him to be wise? Like, who informed him on how to create the world? Like, he's the guy. And so we enter into these practices, but open-handedly learning patience over time to sink into the present moment with God. And in doing so, we shed the idolatry that we have of control. We shed the idol of the ATM God in the sky that's supposed to meet all of our demands. We shed the idolatry that we can control life. And if we just have the better five-year plan, and we just have a, you know, a, a better you know, Pinterest board of like whatever we think the life is supposed to look like, if we just... You know, like all of that stuff, we begin to let go of those things, and we enter into the present moment, and then we start to ask the right questions of him. Say, God, what is mine to do? What's mine to relinquish? You know, every day, for like five years, I have a little notification pops up on my phone at one o'clock every day to remind me to pray a very simple prayer. It's called the Serenity Prayer. Um, it was written by um, Reinhold Niebuhr like 50 years ago. It just says, uh, Grant me, Lord, um, the wisdom to accept the things that I can't change, and the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The, ser- or sorry, the serenity to relinquish the things that I can't change. And it's that learning, well, what, what do I pick up? What do I let go? Why do I stop grasping at things? To say, God, what are you doing? What are you saying? How can I partner with you in that? What are you calling me to do? And we begin to find that as we develop that virtue of patience over time, it meets that hope that we find at the end of the passage in Isaiah, that those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will not walk and not be faint. Because hope and perseverance are intimately tied together in the narrative. And we find in the the letter that uh, Jesus' little brother James writes to us. In James chapter 5, he says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. And I love that that's an analogy that he uses, because farming, I think, is a really great analogy, because farming, it's like, there's one part, like, you've got to show up, and you've got to do the work, and you've got to till the soil, and you plant the seeds, but you're ultimately also working with creation itself. You're paying attention to the sun and to the rain and like what is needed. Like it's this divine dance between the farmer and creation itself to see the crops come to fruition. And our lives are not something that we just take control of and we just manifest our own destiny. But it's also not this passive thing where we just sit back and say, well, I just want God to do everything for me. I'm going to call that trust. No, it's a co-authoring with him. So farming is the perfect analogy as James gives us here, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. That's Kairos. The Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. I love that. I love that James is making this analogy of being impatient people and how that squeaks out sideways in our relationships with other people. Like, what if our judgment of others is just because we can't control our own chronology? Like, we can't control our own time, but we can't admit to that, so we just hurt other people instead. He's saying, look, no, be patient, like wait on the Lord, like hold fast, persevere, and then see if that doesn't change your relationship to one another. As you bless one another, as you encourage another, stay firm, stay in it, stay present in this moment. Keep asking the Lord, what are you saying? What are you doing? And so we're going to do the spiritual practice that I've written for us today um, comes from uh, St. Teresa of Avila. She was, a, she was a 16th century noblewoman in Spain um, of a well-to-do family. 
um, incurred a lot of suffering early on in her life. Well, there was a lot of sickness in her family and a lot of death. And so she pivots as a young woman uh, and becomes a Carmelite nun. Um, later, she becomes a discalced Carmelite, which I don't, I don't know about you, but I prefer my Carmelites to be discalced personally. Um, but she leads this huge reformation in the church in Spain um, because of her intimate connection with God. She writes this, she wrote this book called The Interior Castle. It's this amazing book about going layer upon layer within your interior castle, seeking intimacy with God. Um, and she, she changed a lot of what was happening in the Spanish church and kind of the church at large in that. And she wrote this one particular uh, kind of prayer maxim that I've had written on a chalkboard in my house for a long time. And I had kind of anticipated changing it out every month and like having something new and inspiring. And it's still there. It's been there for like three years because I can't get over it. And this is what she wrote. She says this, Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing away. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. And there's days when I read it and I'm like, Teresa, we gotta have a talk. We gotta have a talk about the real world, girl. Are you kidding me? That's not real. There's lots of things to disturb us and frighten us. God never changes, are you sure? Patience attained all things. Well, there's a lot of things I don't have yet. But then I remember she's been dead for 400 years. So I just got to sit with her words. But what we're going to do today is we just kind of wrote a, a, a meditation, a series of questions that you're going to just enter into with the Spirit today. And just see what the Holy Spirit has to say to you. So I want you to bring out that note again where you kind of you looked at, okay, what's my natural orientation to time? What kind of suffering do I experience that comes because I'm trying to control the narrative? And now we're going to let the Holy Spirit uh, just go a little bit deeper, kind of using Teresa's words to help us to sort out what's happening within me that keeps me in that place of fear, that keeps me in that place of trying to control and fight and making time my enemy. And as I'm uncovering that, perhaps that will be the, the road towards a deeper sense of the virtue of patience. So I'm going to pray, and they're going to come up here one at a time, and I'm going to give you plenty of time just to sit with each one and just to see what the Lord has to say. So Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this virtue of patience. We thank you for what we see in King Jesus as someone who is so present in each and every moment that he only did what he saw you doing but only spoke what he heard you speaking. And Lord, we want to respond to the invitation of King Jesus to be those same kinds of people, to abide in you in the same way that he does, to relinquish our, our attempts to control time itself, thus making it an enemy, and to sink into this present moment that together with you, time becomes a gift each moment becomes an opportunity to know you better. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would descend upon each of your dear ones here today, that you would open up our hearts to show us what's going on in there. Like King David says, reveal to me my anxieties. Show me what's in my heart. Give us the courage to enter into those dark places. Take us by the hand and show us that it is okay. You do not intend to harm us, but to set us free. Speak, Lord, for we're listening. Number one, let nothing disturb you. What is disturbing my timeline right now? Just take an inventory. What's disturbing your timeline right now?
Let nothing frighten you. What anxieties am I carrying about the future? What am I afraid of? things are passing away. What am I trying to hold on to too tightly? God never changes. Take a moment to rest, sit in that, or not in a rush. You have nowhere else to be right now here in the present moment. Patience obtains all things. What things am I truly seeking? What do I actually want? Just allow the Spirit to lead you beneath the surface things. What is it that you really want? Whoever has God lacks nothing. What am I using to fill up my perceived lack? Another way to say it, what are the idols in my life that I'm using to fill up where I feel like I'm missing something?
God alone suffices. Do I believe this? How can I rest into this truth? How can I lay claim to that statement today? nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing away. God never changes. Patience attains all things. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. We're going to continue on in worship. But I want you to take this space and, and allow the Lord to continue to work in your heart if you need to grab the person next to you because you feel like the Spirit is showing you something that you need to deal with and you need some prayer. This has been the City Beautiful Church Podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.